welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings, and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm, and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef, I'm your host, and today we are talking to Shell Mendelssohn. Now, Shell is an ADHD career coach and she um, is identifying people's um, career direction. She helps people focus and clarify, and she's been working in this area for 35 years, so she really does know her st- her stuff. And um, Shell has got a master's in counselling with an emphasis on career. And she's been helping hundreds of ADHD adults and young adults over this 35 years of fulfilling and sustainable career direction. And what is fascinating is that she has seen that her work is synonymous with joy and she never really wants to retire and she wants that for everybody. And with ADHD, it's absolutely imperative that we make a choice that reflects that joyful experience for the majority of our working day. And I couldn't agree with that more. You know, we love being productive. We love being busy. If we are working with passion and excitement, you know, we never want to retire. So I'm just delighted to have you on here because I know so many people will want to be able to tap into your knowledge and hopefully be inspired by you as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I really do. And I appreciate you waking up at 7am or earlier because of the time difference. So um, I'm hoping. Yeah, I had to get some coffee in me. <laughs> I've had a few I've had a few hours of coffee already. So I will. Um, we, we can start sort of small and maybe just start from you mentioning before that you were late diagnosed with ADHD. So how did that sort of correspond with the fact that you've been working in career change, career direction for, for 35 years? And then when did you get your ADHD diagnosis? Well, I was in my 50s when I got my ADHD diagnosis. But um, before that, I was working in the field. But the thing that really pushed me significantly, beyond significantly, to get the diagnosis and realize there was something off with what I was doing was that I switched from doing the career uh, coaching career counseling work to creating a franchise system called Kids Art. And I did that for many, many years. I mean, it took me off. I call it off course, but I also call it a mission, which when I talk to people about the difference between life purpose and mission, this was an example of a mission. The only thing was at the time I didn't know it. And at the time, I became very disheartened and I was not having fun anymore. I was not following my own advice. I was just getting myself deeper and deeper into a situation that I, where I was unhappy. And um, it was at that point when things started kind of blowing up within the company that I had created and this whole system that I had created um, with the people who were all neurotypical. I was the only uh, ADHD person at the time. And when I started blowing up, things really, really blew up. And that was when I kind of went 
I, I remember myself literally crawling to the bookshelf where somebody had sent me a book on ADHD that I completely ignored. And I started reading through it. And I had, this is a real story. I, I had the awakening that I'm not alone. I mean, the, the first thing was I just broke down saying there's nothing really wrong with me. It's just that I was in the wrong situation. I was in the wrong position. What I was doing was not aligned with who I am really and what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, that was when I got the diagnosis and uh, went back to doing the career work. And once I did that, it was like this huge weight was lifted off me. Yeah. It was the, it was so wonderful. It, it just, I, I can remember breathing again. So once I got the diagnosis, went back to the work I was meant to do, and I was always aligned with, everything shifted back to where it was supposed to be. So, yeah. So what you, you talked to um, just then that there's a difference between life purpose and mission. Can you explain a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. So life purpose is kind of the sum of who we are. It's kind of the umbrella, the overarching theme of who we are. And when I, I break that down with people uh, quite a bit, I have them go through an exercise where they take all these different elements and create uh, a life purpose statement for themselves. Um, and that's what I've done. You know, what I did, I had to go back to doing and re realize that I was not living my purpose at that point. But what I real also came to realize was that, uh, the franchise system I created, Kids Art, it was called Kids Art. It's still going. It's being run by some of our early franchisees who are fabulous. So I'm very excited uh, that that's going happening and we stay in touch. But when I realized that that was, uh, I was not living my life purpose, uh, I realized that my mission was Kids Art. It was a mission, which means, I don't know if you remember the old TV series, Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. Are you too old? Too, oh, no, are you too young I, I, to remember no, I, that? I, I do know it. Maybe the film. Yeah, it's Tom in Cruise. black and white. <laughs> yeah, well, Tom Cruise did the movies, yeah. but before that, there was a TV series. <laughs> and they used to have a little section in the beginning where he they would listen to a recording from a guy who was giving them a mission to do. And should you choose to accept it, this tape will be destroyed in 10 seconds and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was what, that's what I consider mission. That's what I saw kids art as was a mission that I didn't realize was a mission because I was so enmeshed in it at the time. And I couldn't see that there was a beginning, middle and end to it. I didn't have an exit strategy. So things had to come crashing down for me to exit. But when they did, it was, a, it was a relief. It really was. So the difference between mission is to take a project that you're passionate about and do something with that project, but that it has a beginning, middle, and end. It's not meant to necessarily be your life's work. It just needs to align with your life's purpose in some way. That is really profound. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're saying then with people listening is it gives us that release, doesn't it, of like, okay, it's okay to have 
a chapter in our life. It's okay. And it's not a failure. And we're, there's not something wrong with us if we've decided that we, we want to finish something. Um, and certain things, you know, we do one thing and that leads us to something else. Um, so when you say life purpose, I'm reinterpreting that as we understanding our core values and we understand how we want to live and we and how we want our day to feel and to look. Um, and I guess what underpins our our life. Um, is that is that the right sort of context? Yep. Yes. And it's also um, what we want to impart to others mm. while we're on the planet. The, the main, it's kind of the essence of who we are individually and everyone has a different purpose. Everyone has their own very individual purpose. And it does, it does need to align with the work we do, or I should say the work we do needs to align with that purpose. Or we're not going to be happy. I mean, we can literally feel it in our bodies when it's not happening, right? Uh, so understanding what that is and being very intentional about choosing work that's going to align with that is what makes all the difference. And that's what gives us the energy. It gives us all those boosts that people we need to take action and to do the work and to see it being something that is sustainable for, for years, yeah. over the years. It is. It's that yeah. it's feeling in alignment. I always sort of just know when something feels off, I feel it in my body. I just, if someone asks me to do something or talk about a certain subject or do something that I'm just like, oh, I feel it like in my neck. I feel it in sort of my chest. And I've started to really use that body wisdom as, as a way to sort of guide me towards saying yes or to say no. And you think this is like really powerful stuff. Like, why are we not learning this as kids? Like, why are we not knowing, um, you know, from a very young age how to sort of determine a, some form of path? I know that, you know, and nothing's linear at all. And to be no, it's not <laughs> to to kind of almost have this life purpose as like our little guiding, you know, or, or like you know, stones or anything that can sort of just guide us towards um, where we're meant to go. So I guess you you must have people coming to you um, at all stages in life who are lost, who are stuck, who are thinking, I've worked, I mean, I know that I have many clients who come to me and say, I'm working in a corporate job and it pays amazing money, but I just, it's just not fulfilling me. I'm just not happy. And then they turn into, I guess, what their life purpose is. Um, and it's like they're a changed person. How can a career make such a big change to our life, especially with ADHD? Well, when you think about how much time you spend in a job, and nowadays, and especially in the U.S., uh, over, working overtime is the norm. Working many hours overtime is the norm. So, uh, and that's expected. Back in uh, the day, <laughs> for me, when I used to work, I worked in corporate jobs. You could go home at five o'clock, you know, but now it's just expected that everyone stays and so if you're not enjoying your work, I mean, there's there you need to have a reason to want to stay, not that not be expected to stay. Uh, there needs to be a reason for us. We need to have that push, right? You know what I'm saying? The wind beneath our wings kind of thing. It has to be. It's like this push that's telling us, I'm really excited about this. I have something. I have a reason to be here. This work is purposeful to me. This work is meaningful. I love this project. I love the people that I'm working with. Um, I'm using the skills that I want to be using. I'm doing all these things that uh, 
really uh, allow me to be who I am. If you're not in that environment, like if you don't have those conditions available to you, and I, and I break it down quite a bit into all the different conditions and preferences we need to have. I call them preferences, but they're, they're elements that we really enjoy about our work mm. that have to be there. Yeah. Um, and that's what will get us through the day on a regular basis and it will make it more sustainable over the years. And it also needs to be something that we can grow with and something that we can, uh, there needs to be for a lot of us, variety, flexibility. There are just certain elements that many people with ADHD uh, need. And if they're at, when you hear that from people, it's because a lot of those elements are not there. And uh, including the biggest one is the people they're working with and the overall culture, the culture of the work that they're working in. ADHD is not 100% accepted in this country as being, how do I work with pe people with ADHD? It's become a nuisance for a lot of employers. Like, how do we deal with this person rather than how do we work with this person, right? And so being in that kind of environment can just break you down. It can put you in this horrible uh, situation where it just becomes unsustainable after a while. Yeah. And then you start making little mistakes. Then you start, you know, if it, when it gets to that point, uh, it, the per, it's very easy to capture the attention of the employer so that then they start to look at you as uh, not as a liability versus an asset. And it, when you capture their attention with uh, the fact that first, number one, you're not enjoying what you're doing, it becomes very clear in the way the work is being performed. And it does, some people can get away, but neuro, a lot of neurotypical people can feel the same way about their work, yet still be able to do it in a way that is okay enough, right, for the employer. With ADHD, that becomes very difficult over a period of time to, to sustain. It's just not sustainable. Um, and employers, we have what are called performance improvement programs here. Do they have them in the UK? They'll have, yeah, they'll have a variation of it. It's a variation of that. And what they do is it's a way to sort of get you out. It's the first step. So instead of you doing your work, they're giving you assignments to do th things that you dislike even more. And they're, they just want to kind of stress you out enough to push you out the door, right? When P, I, and I've worked with many people who come to me in these programs and it's, you know, I have to keep reminding them that you're in the wrong job. This is not about you. This is about the fact that you are just in the wrong job. This is not who you are. It has nothing to do with uh, your capabilities, your skill level, anything. It's just that this, this particular work you were doing before the end of the uh, company or whatever, if you're working for somebody that you're doing it with is the wrong fit. Yeah. You know, we, we can live a life in this neurotypical world and never feel like we're thriving. But then when we have an environment that fits um, us and we're around people that we, um, we feel connected to and we're working on something that we're passionate about, all of a sudden you see that ADHD person bloom and blossom and thrive and like become the huge success that's always been there. And, you know, sometimes they need people like yourself to sort of bring that out. 
other times it's just the diagnosis where they can be like now I understand I'm not the problem you know I'm not a failure there's not something wrong with me and they can understand how all the different traits of ADHD you know especially with uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria I think that plays a huge part in in our careers and that often leads to like you say overchecking, the self-doubt never thinking we've done enough never you know uh, always overcompensating and then we've got this tendency to burn out as well because if our conditions aren't correct um and we are um around people maybe we're in a, a sensory environment that's just not right for us we shrivel and we can't we can't deal with it so I do believe that getting a a diagnosis and having an acknowledgement and acceptance that actually the way we work where we work how we work is pivotal to our success and um and we can't keep doing the same things I've got a client who you know it's unfortunately it's taken her to have a, a huge burnout episode where she's had to be signed off by the doctor she's had to go on antidepressants um and she's really been very poorly as a bit of a wake up call that um something that i we've been discussing for a long time but she just couldn't make that jump um and unfortunately you know she is going to resign because she now knows that that environment but now it's opening up doors and opportunities to her to start recognizing, actually, I have all these other skills and abilities and qualifications and all these other ideas. Um, and so unfortunately, sometimes it does take us to be, you know, like you, I think, I guess your situation where we have, we're pushed, you know, we have no choice and the universe kind of um, intervenes and we feel like it's a, you know, really drastic situation, but actually it's going to be the making of us. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, say if someone's listening right now and they are in that situation and they just know that the conditions that they're working in and the environment and everything about it is not they're not in alignment anymore it's not their life purpose but then they're in that place where well what is where do I go and obviously there's a huge amount of fear financially if and I know that there's um there's a high statistic of ADHD entrepreneurs the ADHD people who are running their own business who are working you know like us we're self-employed and but that is a very scary notion if you have always worked for someone else can you talk a little right. bit about how we make that transition and we we step into that that life purpose of course that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> that's my life's work <laughs> so yeah i um when people come to me they're very often in that situation part of me i mean the part of me oftentimes when i see people in that especially in those pip programs Uh, And I can see the toll it's taking and I can see them breaking down emotionally and even physically. And they're taking more medications or doing all kinds of things to sort of just be able to to go to work and just get there. Part of me just wants to go and rescue them and just pull them out and say, quit today, right now, get out, because it's physically detrimental to you. It's emotionally detrimental to you. It's mentally detrimental. You've got to you know, and I ask them, do they have, let's get real here. Do you have maybe a savings of some kind that you can use to just take a break for a while and give yourself that time to, to regroup and get out of this situation? Uh, sometimes it becomes that drastic. But neurotypical people may not show it and they may be able to, you think, turn it off. But I worked with neurotypical people for many years as well. And they're always on some kind of medication. They're always there's there are always other diagnoses that are at, that they're there. 
Uh, and I give my cousin as an example. He was, uh, um, we kind of followed each other's careers. He was doing work similar to me, only he was working for the city of San Diego and he was the only person, to, he was a vocational rehabilitation counselor. He was the only one who was uh, doing that in that position. And he had to, what he was doing was working with uh, employees who were either injured on the job or, you know, could not sustain their work because of whatever um, diagnoses they had and to find something else that they can do. And so he would bump heads with all day long. That's all he did. He had to fight, put out fires. He had to, uh, it was like, put up your dukes and then you walk in the door. That was what his work was. And I could see him over the years becoming, um, I mean, he was my, he was like a brother to me, so I get kind of emotional when I think about it, but it's also uh, a tale, you know, it was, it's one of those, those uh, stories that you want to think about before you continue in a position like in that kind of situation. And he was just so emotionally wrought from all of it. And he had a f just all kinds of mental issues that happened and he was on all kinds of medications and he was very neurotypical. He was not at all ADHD. Uh, and he find all he could think about was retirement and I would beg him to look to get out. I would just beg him to get out because I could see what was happening with him. Cautionary tale here. He um, eventually retired. His whole goal was, I want to retire. I want to retire. He and his wife, they were both doing the same kind of work in different settings. And she was going through the same thing. Only it was taking more of a physical toll and mental toll on him. And he finally did retire. And very soon after he was re retired, he was in his early 60s. Uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And died very shortly thereafter. And it was one of those things where I knew it was the work that killed him. It was accumulation. So whether or not you have ADHD, if you're in the wrong job, it's going to take its toll. But people with ADHD, in a way, we're more privileged. We have more. The fact that it shows up in the workplace in some fashion and even though we may not realize it at the time, we are being given a gift to get the hell out of there, right? And yes, if you can understand that it's not about you, and that's the first thing I tell them, this is not about you. You're just, you were just in the wrong job. That's all. This has nothing to do with who you are. You just made uh, a decision that you weren't maybe aware of what you needed at the time. You thought you needed this and tried to make it work, but it didn't work because that's how our brains are wired, right? Our brains are wired to do work that we enjoyed or to, to get excited and focused in areas that we are attracted to, right? The things that attract us. So uh, when I work with people, we, I, I work in the process called What Color Is Your Parachute? I was trained by Richard Bowles who wrote What Color Is Your Parachute? And, uh, he broke, he's been working, you know, in this field for years and years and years. And I was attracted to his process of, uh, identifying 
the elements that make up one's ideal work before making a shift, which is what everybody should do, by the way. And we aren't given the privilege of doing that because it's not taught in schools. There's no roadmap. Parachute is not taught in schools. It should be, but it's not. And for people with ADHD, it's perfect because it really does allow us to sort of say, yeah, this isn't okay. And this is okay. This is sift and sort. It's a sift sorting process in your and to say this yeah this really attracts me and this doesn't you know no say clear no to to other things so in the parachute process we identify seven different areas that make up one's ideal work uh, those are what are the skills that we love using what are the people we lo love to be around work for and with what are the working conditions, this is the big one of the biggest pieces that needs to be addressed. And in this country, we have what's called the uh, Americans for Disabilities Act. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, it's, it's a process that if you're diagnosed with something, you can and you need, require reason, what they call reasonable accommodation. And the reason I say reasonable is that something that may be reasonable to one employer may not be reasonable to another. So it's one of these iffy things, right? You, and once you come out there and say you have ADHD, it almost puts a target on your back in some workplaces. Uh, so I always go for the idea of self-accommodation versus uh, using the ADA, using the, the accommodation method with ADA. Uh, and that is, and it's what it is, is it breaks down the conditions that are so important to you in every element of your work, uh, the physical aspects, just like the office shoot. Your, look at look at your surroundings. It supports you, yeah. right? Yeah. It has to support you in some way. And when you work on your own, you can create that kind of environment for yourself. But when you're working for someone else, you are uh, left to whatever little space they give you and if it's a space that actually cramps your style in some way or makes you feel less than or makes you feel uncomfortable and you're not say allowed to even put pictures of your family up or you're in a in one of those cubicles and cubicles are a luxury now believe it or not because you now have these open spaces that people can you imagine going into one of those and and not only that, but you have, it's like whatever desk is available kind of thing. I mean, to me, that's a nightmare. I can't even imagine it. But a lot of people work that way. Yeah. I mean, what you're, you're just saying then, I'm just like, I'm automatically thinking about like the care we give our houseplants, you know, if you're like into plants and we read the label and we say, right, not by the shade, not by the window, you know, make sure you water, you yeah. don't water. And we just follow those instructions. We want our houseplants to thrive. We don't give the same consideration to ourselves. You know, we are working, say, eight hours every day. And, you know, I used to think I was really, um, maybe not, not demanding, but really kind of like precious that I needed to sit by a window and I needed fresh air near me. I needed to just like have a bit of space. And if someone was next to me, like clicking their knuckles or tapping, like it would just be so loud in my ears. And... All these little things, and I used to complain to my husband, I used to say, my God, this person's doing that thing, or that smell made me like, I was so infuriated, or there was no fresh air, and I had like hot air conditioning on my head. 
And he used to say to me, this is way before my diagnosis. He goes, you're just going to have to get used to this. It's like life. This is work. And you're working in an office and it was open plan and there was a radio on and there was conversations and it was just an overstimulation. I don't know how people work in that environment. I don't understand. Yeah. Well, I, be- I soon felt like this burnout creeping. And again, I didn't have the language. I couldn't articulate it. This was, you know, a long time ago, 15, 16 years ago. Um, And open plan offices and hot desking. It was all the rage and having meetings every few, you know, half an hour. And I was like, I'm just getting into my work and there's another meeting. And it just fried my brain. And I didn't understand why. And I thought I was um, a failure. I thought I was like always giving up. And now I look back at that older version of myself and I think, you know, I can see the environment was just not place for me to to thrive and then now I'm like in the environment where I'm thriving I'm choosing everything like you say the self-accommodation and I believe that I'm thriving my business is growing and you know the podcast has been amazing and it's all because I've made choices of aligned to back to me again and I do know it is a privilege. I understand that. But I do also believe that we're given this one life and we have to make scary choices and we have to make leaps of faith. And there's there's certain things that are going to like the fear is going to, you know, rise up and we're going to like worry about all the what ifs. But unless we take that jump, we make we take that risk. The thing, you know, that we want out of it is, is not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just hearing you and I'm thinking, actually, it is so important that we take note of all these little things because they are the clues to, I guess, what we want and what we don't want. Exactly. Exactly. And I have people break it down very specifically and in great detail mm. uh, down to paper clips, you know, down to all the little things that make life more palatable, that are our preferences, that we just need to have these things around us. And we need to be surrounded, uh, like I'm looking out on trees and squirrels, you know. So I can look up and see this beautiful setting. It's not not everybody has that, but if you don't know what you want first and what you really need first, then it, it chances are you're not going to get it right. Knowing what you want and articulating what you want, and and uh, owning it. Owning every element of it empowers you in a way that makes it easy to have conversations with employers and ask questions before you take a position, right? Um, and that's really what this whole the whole process is about. It's it's getting every element in detail uh, down and being able to say this is what I really want and need and to prioritize those things because you can. You know, if you don't get all of it, the things that you don't prioritize down the list, it's okay. I mean, you can compromise a little bit on that. You can just, but you have to decide if it's going to make a difference to you, if it's going to impact maybe your work at some point. So when we talk about working conditions, we get into it. That's a big one. And uh, I always start out by having my clients talk about all the things that don't work, all the things they hate all those conditions that have just made their lives miserable. And a lot of it is what you described. You described that environment, uh, that the meetings, I mean, how many, I go raise your hand, how many people hate meetings? And you'll see all these people. I despise meetings. 
uh, even when I had my own company, every Wednesday we had like a, a meeting and I just, I would literally get physically ill before it because I just did not want to sit through a boring meeting where nothing was being accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Right. It's a visceral and feeling. It my, it's a visceral feeling. And so the meetings being interrupted, I just had this physical reaction when you said that because I thought, oh, I could not ever work in that kind of environment, especially when you get distracted. It's distracting. Here you are getting into your work and then all of a sudden, boom, you're having to. But then also um, the culture is important. What kind of culture is the environment overall? Is it competitive? Is it authoritarian? It's becoming more so now in this country, even for white collar workers, not just blue collar work, but, but for white collar workers in the larger corporations. So if you're listening to today's podcast and you're finding it really helpful, I would love it if you could jump onto wherever you're listening to the episode and leave a review, a rating. This really helps with other people like yourself find the podcast. Perhaps they are just on the beginning of their journey and are desperate for help and resources. And this podcast can really help with that. And if you are looking for further support, please do head to my website, which is adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. On there, I have lots of workshops, resources, information. It's both paid for and for free. My aim is to really help you and guide you on this journey and allow you to access whatever you can find that will help you where you are right now. So that's adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. Now back to today's episode. What would you say that typically an ADHD, and I know we're all so different, but what would you say the, the type of careers, environment um, works really well for an ADHD person and a brain and, and how do they best thrive? Well, I get that question a lot. <laughs> and the thing I say is there's no one size fits all. Yeah. It's like anybody you've got to uh, find, you've got to define all those elements for yourself. The other ones that I wanted to mention were um, the uh, fields, like what field fascinates you? What fields are you attracted to? Uh, you could be working using the skills you love in the wrong field, in a field that doesn't support who you are. And so knowing that, and then what are your salary and rewards? What rewards do you need to get? that are important to you. And then of course, your life purpose is a big piece of it, defining that. But when people ask me that question about what are the good careers, there's no top 10 list. <laughs> it really is. It really is anything and everything that attracts you, that appeals to you. It's a very nuanced process. And that's what a lot of people don't really understand is that it's not black and white. It is not black and white. You, once you define all these areas and you come up with some potential possibilities to move into, very often things start to overlap. But it's just understanding that different elements of, of this process or different elements of what would make up your, the work that you're supposed to be doing will overlap and allow for that. Um, and for example, me, I work in the educational, the field of education as a coach, and I also am a business person. I also work with people with ADHD, and over the years, I've been in franchising. I've been doing a lot of different things that have all overlapped the kind of work I do, right? So even within a job, 
that overlapping, even if you're working for somebody else, you need to understand that part of yourself. And I always liken it to the Google Maps, or I don't know, you know what I mean by the Google Maps when you put your put an address in and then all of a sudden it populates a direction. Well, what if how are you going to get anywhere if you don't have the the address? How are you going to get that step by step where to go? Right? I mean, it's kind of a it's a broad, loose way of looking at it, but you really do need to understand what all those elements are and to, to be able to articulate them and to own them. So those are the things that are very different, very often very difficult for people. And one of the things you alluded to was that doubt, like, am I doing it right? What will people a lot? We get all the voices. We're ADHD. So not only do we get voices from the outside, but also from the inside in our brain, we have the voices, right? Telling us, oh, if you do that, you might not make enough money. Or if you try doing that, what will people think? Or what, you know, that's not what my parents are, would be happy about, or my spouse or whatever. And all those, we call it the safekeeping self. And it's, we talk a lot about that because at, in every moment of going through this process of really creating that roadmap for yourself, you're going to have those doubts, that safekeeping self come in. And I, I see it as like this ghoulish, I kind of put a visual to it. It's like a ghoul walking, trying to get in the door and it's got these beady eyes and it's coming in and it's trying to tell me, oh, you can't do that. Who are you? Right. Well, I can. And if I don't say what that thing, if I don't own what that thing is and feel good about it, yeah, that shift is not going to happen or something else that's preventing you from taking the steps and learning more and really understanding the nuances of what's going to make up the work that will transform your life and push you to do what you're meant to be doing out there what you're truly meant to be doing out there and to answer the call of who you, you know, what you're contributing to the world. And I always say, especially people with ADHD, every, pretty much everyone I've ever worked with has been very purpose-minded. Mm. Doing something that's meaningful, that's significant, making a difference. And people do start to burn out when they realize that they go to work every day and what am I doing? They start questioning why am I here? What am I doing? What is this accomplishing? There needs to be more. I need to feel like I'm making a difference in some way. Yeah. I always sort of see it as like soul driven because that's where we feel it. We feel, you know, like you say, being of service, doing something that is going to fulfill us and help others. And it's so, it's just so pivotal in making that decision because we could love working with kids, art, cooking you know anything like animals and it can feel really hard it's like okay well I love you know cooking but what am I going to do and some people love photography so maybe you could be like um, a cookery photographer maybe you could be working in a test kitchen maybe you can um, create a website you know full of um, help you know healthy recipes whatever that is there's so many different ways I mean my friends laugh at me because I'm always the person that's coming up with new career ideas or new business ideas for my friends 
and um and sometimes they're just not ready you know they're just not there they they've not come to see you they are just sort of talking about it and then the the gremlins the voice in the head goes no 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 you know who am i to do that um i can't afford to do that you know i've got no experience i don't have the qualifications like we can come up with every single excuse in the book and you know a decade goes by and i'm still talking to the same person about that idea that we had and they've not done anything with it because that voice dictates but we have to make a choice not to believe that voice and we have to make a choice to override it or recognize it for what it is and you know like you say the voice of safety it is our brain is conditioned to keep us safe very often the safekeeping self uh the recognition of it is the first step uh being able to say oh okay here it is again uh i just said this to myself what what what's that about and whose voice is that anyway and so when I, when I work with people, we work in, in a small group of six. When, we, when I work with people, uh, I ask them, I put them into what I call the career bubble, which means that I ask them not to speak with their spouses and discuss any of what is going on for the period of time that we work together until we don't and you're ready to kind of launch your idea, launch, like take action in some way. And we can talk about, you know, the kinds of actions that people take, but basically to keep those, you've got enough voices going on. Very often a spouse is a person who's going to, to uh, be very interested in what you're coming up with because it's going to impact their lives as well. And that can take you off track in terms of really understanding and seeing things from a very broad perspective first what is what is coming to you naturally at, as the areas that you're feeling inclined to learn more about and want, want to uh, explore and research? And if you don't have a chance to look at it from a very broad perspective, it can really cut you short and that safekeeping self is going to take over and boom, no action, right? A lot of times when I tell people that there, it's almost like this relief, this sigh of relief comes over them. Like, ah, I have people I can talk to about it in the, in the group, but we, I don't have to talk to my, I can say, honey, my career coach told me not to talk to you for eight weeks about what's coming up. That's an assignment. That's what was, you know, that's my instruction. So it takes the burden off of them. And it just becomes a big sigh of, they have a big sigh of relief knowing that now they really can explore. And even with that permission to really go for it, 100%, to look at all, you know, rock star. Okay, I wanted to be a rock star, you know, when I was a kid or whatever. And now doing something where I can uh, speak to large groups or I can get the attention, be, in, be the center of attention in some way is important to me because I have a message or for whatever reason, mm -hmm. you know, being able to explore those things are important because when you have those dreams, you should be out there some way taking steps incrementally to incorporating them into the work you're doing somehow. And it doesn't mean the exact work that you're doing. It means incorporating elements of those things that are important to you into your work, right? And again, they can overlap. They're very nuanced. They don't have to be all at once. They can be incremental. 
uh, but knowing what the steps are to get there, that's what they learn and that's what they come away with uh, and generally have the confidence later on to, to take those steps. Like the confidence piece of it is so important. Like if you aren't confident in what you're doing, obviously you know what the results are. Eventually it's going to kind of bite you in the butt a little bit. You're kind of allowing people a cocoon of what if possibilities. And as kids, we're sort of taught to use our imagination. We're taught to ask big questions and, and go big and and use and use every element of creativity. But then as we get older, it's quashed and pushed down, and we're just kind of like the mundanities of life take over. And now you know, to be given an opportunity to say, well, what if, what if I could do that thing? And I see, I've seen this a few times, actually, I've seen this in real life with friends of mine who have done that. What if, what if I just do this? If I just take that next step and I try and I fail and I get back up and I try again. And that happens, you know, we can't ever do anything without having setbacks, but it's making that decision to try and to use our imagination and get curious. And I love this. This is like literally my passion. I, I could talk about this for, for hours, but maybe you can direct people if, you know, if this conversation has sort of um, spiked a bit of an interest in them. What, where can they go to work with you? Well, like I said, I work with people all over the world. So we do uh, eight, the eight-week What uh, Your Next Career Move Masterclass. And that's the baseline for working with me. Very often people will come and say, I want to work one-on-one -on -one and I'll say, no, not until you've done this, because this is, this is the, and, very, and a lot of times they don't need to work with me one-on-one -on -one after that. And they don't realize uh, that they need other people as much in this process to support them. People besides just me who are going through the same process and understand the ADHD element aspect and have all been impacted by ADHD in their work life in some way. And they, it's like really having a non-judgmental group that is going to support you. And once they get the language of what we're doing and they can start seeing the direction that we're moving in, uh, it, it just, it all starts to work together. So I, my website, should I give my website? My website is www.passiontocareer.com. And you can see a little video of what the class is on the front page and then take it. Well, if, when it says, it says read more, you go to the master class. And I really like people to read through that whole thing because even though there, there are quite a few testimonials on there, they're really the stories of the people that have come in feeling a certain way and left learning so much about themselves. And it's their stories that they tell. I don't ask them to tell them. It's structured, yet they can be who they are, so they can be creative within that structure. And really allow them those elements and have it be within the period of time, very specific. Like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. So I created the, uh, I based, I created the whole ADHD aspect of it through just my own work and knowing what worked for me and what worked for my clients overall and knowing what I needed. So I was able to do that with this and it's, and now I'm launching, hopefully we'll be launching a training program to teach other coaches to add this to their, to what they, their own personal offerings. Um, because at some point it's just me. I want other people to be doing this as well. I want other people to get the word out to help 
people who are in career crisis? It's wonderful. And I love that you're creating an invitation for people to have a second chapter, another chance at life, um, for them to prosper, thrive, be abundant. Um, It's amazing. And um, I, for one, would love to hear more about your coaching. And I just think that if anyone is, is intrigued, I think they should go and have a look on your website because this changes lives. This changes relationships. It changes so many things, dynamics. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for your work, thank Shell. You. And thank you for thank coming you. on the podcast. Yeah. It's been amazing to talk to you. You can go and have a coffee now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll probably go back to sleep. Yes. <laughs> it's early now. Oh, well, anyway, yeah, this, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I really did. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.